0: It's Friday, February 17th. Donald Trump never testified, but he was still the star witness. We start here. A grand jury in Georgia has been examining potential election crimes by Trump allies. Now, some of their report is out.
1: There is more than just the the, the question of perjury here. What's in it and what's still to come?
0: President Biden doesn't want to be known as Balloon Boy.
2: We don't have any evidence that there has been a sudden increase in the number of objects in the sky.
0: So for the first time, he describes what he shot down and why. And the programs were supposed to help minority kids. Now, the adults who suggested them have run out of town.
3: You take away these safe spots for the these kids and they can't even make a new space for themselves because they aren't allowed to have a club.
0: In school districts across the country, it's not just textbooks at stake. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. Ever since January 6th of 2021, there have been several groups looking into what went wrong. Congress, you know, the FBI and Capitol Police, of course. But the lie that this was all predicated on, this false notion that President Trump actually won states that he lost, was spread far beyond Washington. You know, fake news, fake polls, fake election.
3: What we're seeing right now is an election.
0: You could argue that's why the attack on the Capitol happened. Mashups of lies being told at every level. And so for months, other jurisdictions have been investigating, most notably the state of Georgia, where a cadre of Republicans sought to overturn election results, including President Trump
1: himself. He oversaw an effort to obtain and transmit false electoral college ballots to Congress and the National Archives. The false ballots were created by fake Republican electors on December 14th.
0: Well, yesterday, after months of grand jury testimony, Georgia officials began to reveal what they found. ABC's chief Washington correspondent Jonathan Carl joins us now. John, first off, can you just remind us what sorts of incidents the Georgia grand jury specifically was looking at?
1: Well, this is into whether or not Trump and his allies interfered with the election, tried to illegally turn over the election results the single biggest piece of evidence in this is Donald Trump's own words you remember the famous tape of the conversation that he had with the Republican secretary of state Brad Raffensburger on January 2nd of 2021 so you know weeks after the election
2: and there's nothing wrong with saying that you know uh that you've recalculated he
1: calls uh, Raffensperger up and says, just can't you just go out and find 11,780
0: votes, which is one more
1: that we have. Which would have been precisely the number of votes uh, he needed to win the election in Georgia. Can't you just go out and find those? So this investigation as to whether or not that and other activities by Trump's allies amounted to an illegal effort uh, to interfere with the election.
0: Yeah, there's federal law and there's state law. Of course, that involves elections. So Georgia, looking at the state law, yes. they released like then part of the findings yesterday, or like the beginning of their findings. I'm still confused though about what they actually found.
1: So the, the grand jury has been investigating this uh, for about seven months. Uh, they've interviewed 75 uh, witnesses.
3: They asked a lot of questions. It was a very diverse group, um, and you could tell that they. They were really pushing back.
1: To and the grand to jury pay. is done with its work. They have written a final report. Only a portion of it was released by the judge. The, the DA in this case actually asked uh, for none of it to be released because they don't, the DA didn't want to prejudice uh, uh, any of the potential defendants in, in, in a case that may or may not come.
4: We are asking that the report not be released because you haven't seen that report, decisions are imminent.
1: So what the judge did is released a heavily redacted version of the report. It's only nine pages long. We can see that, but the redacted version doesn't say much, except there there are two very notable points here, uh, Brad. One thing that this redacted version of the report says is that a majority of the grand jury believes that one or more of the witnesses, those 75 witnesses that testified, may have committed perjury. The second important point is the grand jury unanimously, all of them, uh, voted to say uh, that they did not believe Uh, that there was any evidence of widespread election fraud that could have changed the results in Georgia.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So like the the baseline of, yeah, Joe Biden won Georgia, like the grand jury unanimously finds, that
1: is true. Every single grand juror said there was no evidence of widespread fraud.
0: Right. And so then going back to the possibility of indictments, because a special grand jury can't indict anyone, but it can make recommendations to the DA about indictments. That's what everyone's wondering about, right? So... If the whole thing here is, yeah, you know, we think people should be indicted for lying to us. OK, but doesn't that lead to the question of, yeah, but what are the actual findings of all this? This this wasn't just set up as a lie detector test. Like there were real questions to be answered here.
1: The judge, in talking about uh, the release of this report, made it very clear that this grand jury uh, in their report, I guess the part that's still redacted, uh, did uh, outline a series of recommendations that would include who should or should not be indicted. But there is more than just the the, the question of perjury here, that there uh, there were at least some recommendations uh, that touched on the larger issue of the aftermath of the 2020 election in Georgia, the presidential election.
0: And lastly, John, is there a sense that President Trump could be among those like or, or what, what types of names could conceivably be here? Because we've heard people say, listen, if you're going to indict some people, but not Trump, like Trump was at the center of the whole thing. So, like, I don't know, is it possible a former presidents on that list?
1: It's certainly possible that Donald Trump would be on that list. As
2: long as we know there are indictments, and we know there are indictments, it's hard to imagine who
1: would be further up on the list, not just because of stature, but because of the substance of what occurred than Donald Trump. And so he think- did not testify uh, before this grand jury. But, you know, he is uh, at the center of all of this. This was an effort to overturn a defeat in Georgia, his defeat in Georgia. Uh, There are also key players that were helping him in that effort uh, that did speak to the grand jury. And and chief among those uh, would be Rudy Giuliani, who was very involved in the effort, and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows.
0: All right, Jonathan Carl, thanks so much. Thanks, Brad. Tomorrow will mark three weeks since a Chinese spy balloon entered American airspace. It took several days for the president to be notified, according to the Pentagon, and as we know, another several days before we shot it down over water. <gasps>
1: Whoa.
0: Since then, President Biden has ordered several objects shot down, even though the Pentagon couldn't say with certainty what those objects were. Good afternoon. But yesterday was the first time in all those weeks that Biden himself came to a podium to explain at length to the American people what is going on in the skies. ABC's chief global affairs correspondent Martha Raddatz joins us. Martha, what did he have to say about the the shooting spree?
4: Well, he really gave us more information than we've had before, although a senior official I've talked to said, look, I, we think they're weather balloons. Well, Joe Biden basically said they're either weather balloons, recreational balloons, probably owned by a private company or something for scientific research.
2: We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other any other country.
4: They're still looking for those three uh, as yet identified objects. And and the fact is, I'm not sure they're ever going to find them. We're talking about really remote areas and really small balloons. But clearly, they don't think they're a threat. we might not find (laughs) the things that were... We might not find the things that we thought were
0: important enough to shoot down from the sky.
4: Well, yeah. You know, it's one thing shooting them down. The other thing finding them. I mean, think about it. You've got Lake Huron. You've got some very remote area in Alaska and some very remote area in Canada and the Yukon. So I've been told they're they're not certain they're really ever going to find them.
0: What was Biden's kind of view about this all then? Is that is he essentially admitting here, hey, we had to like kind of make a show of force here, but it was nothing ever really to worry about.
4: I, I think what what we really have to remember is the Chinese spy balloon was a Chinese spy balloon.
2: I gave the order to shoot it down as soon as it would be safe to do so. The military advised against shooting it down over land because of the sheer size of it.
4: Their, uh if you will, antenna was up after that. And look, we're not going to let this happen again. Clearly there was political... Uh, pressure here to do something after that happened so they recalibrate these these radars so they're picking up essentially everything
2: i want to be clear we don't have any evidence that there has been a sudden increase in the number of objects in the sky we're now just seeing more of them partially because the steps we've taken to increase our radars to narrow our radars
4: when these objects appear coupled with the fact that a chinese spy balloon had been shot down uh, they went after it. Now, the, the real challenge here is what do you do now? Because we release, in the US alone, almost 200 weather balloons every day. I've learned more about weather balloons than I ever knew before this week. <laughs> uh, they, they they apparently can go to, a, uh, to an altitude of 100,000 feet. They go up just for a few hours and then just basically pop and come back down, which is why we put 200 up every day. Around the world, you've got thousands, and that's just weather balloons. Those aren't the private companies. There's really no way to keep track of them now. They release the balloons from a launch, but it's not like they have to file a, a flight plan.
2: We'll update the rules and regulations for launching and maintaining unmanned objects in the skies above the United States of America.
4: What Biden was saying was essentially, oh, we're gonna have more control over this. That's a pretty tall order. Mm. He said his Secretary of State is going to be in charge of common goals worldwide. Good luck with that. That is a tough order.
2: As I've said since the beginning of my administration, we seek competition, not conflict with China.
0: Hey, and lastly, can you walk me through China's perspective and all this? Like, how intentional was this Chinese spy balloon in the first place? And how upset are they now? Because not to be rude, Martha, but i if I ran the State Department, I'd be like, guys, this is your balloon. It's our land. Don't get mad at us because we blew it up. But it does sound like there's some tension here.
4: Brad Milkey for Secretary of State. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't know how diplomatic I think. That
4: will work. That will work. I, I-, I think there's A question within the administration, there's some people who absolutely think it did not fly off course, and others in the intelligence community think they did. But once it got over uh, U.S. airspace, intentional or not, uh, then they started looking at sensitive sites. Mm. The Chinese, as you know, said, this was harmless, this was nothing.
5: China has repeatedly explained the situation to the U.S., but the U.S. has abused force and overreacted to escalate the situation.
4: But they got to know that we're going to be finding those parts. Uh, we've already found a lot of those parts from the payload of that Chinese spy balloon. And I, th- I think the administration has been quite firm about that. Look, it's over U.S. airspace. It shouldn't be here. We think you're surveilling sensitive military sites. So, you know, tough. So, so Brad, maybe you could be Secretary of State. Yes, I'm
0: next. I don't have that many suits. So I'll have to get some. All right, Martha Raddatz, thank you so much. You bet. Next up on Start Here, we continue our month-long look at black history by taking a look at school programs that are history. That's after the break. With daylight saving time upon us, we're looking forward to more daylight and longer days from March through November. And while setting our clocks forward gives us the illusion of more time, it doesn't necessarily help businesses find qualified candidates any sooner. Fear not, there is a solution. ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's your 24-7 hiring partner, working tirelessly to connect you with the right candidate. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, it gets distributed to over 100 job sites, ensuring you reach a diverse pool of qualified individuals. Their smart technology scans thousands of resumes, matching you with people whose skills perfectly align with your job requirements. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why 4 out of 5 employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash start here. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash start here. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. In an ongoing series this month, we're taking a look at black history. Not like the entirety of black history, but literally the subject of history that you learned in school. And at this moment, the very concept of black history has turned many school districts upside down. We talked the last couple of weeks about this concept of critical race theory, how it's become a lightning rod in colleges where it is taught, but also in high schools and elementary schools where it isn't really. Many education advocates have said this is all kind of a red herring. People aren't actually that worried about critical race theory, if they know what it is. They're worried about acknowledging racism is still present in the world. They're not worried about how the civil rights movement is being taught. They're worried that if it's taught accurately, we're going to have to have real talks about modern-day prejudices, about modern-day forms of segregation. Those advocates say they've been proven right because at more and more schools, it's not just textbooks that are up for debate, it's school programs that celebrate diversity.
3: What about us? What about us? It's too many times in too many school districts across
4: the world that we have black kids saying, what about us?
0: Today. We're gonna take a look at one of those school districts. Rockwood School District is just west of St. Louis. 19 elementary schools, six middle schools, four high schools in predominantly white suburbs. And over the last couple of years, school board meetings there have grown more and more contentious.
1: And what we should be about is about education. And that's the last thing on anybody's mind here. I am glad my son went to private school. I would be embarrassed to send him here. I think the attorney general should be here right now. He should be standing here asking his police officers to walk up there and put cuffs on every last one of you.
0: Backlash began with COVID restrictions, then concerns about critical race theory, then library books. Slowly, though, a group of parents began calling out programs that were specifically designed to empower students of color. One of these, for example, was called The Love Project. A nonprofit was contracted to gather this diverse group of high school girls to talk about self-love, sisterhood, and entrepreneurship.
3: You can transport a child to school, but are you truly looking out for the best interests of the child if you're not doing everything in your power to make sure that they feel included and respected?
0: This is a classic example of what experts call DEI programs, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. They're meant to ensure that diverse groups of students can interact and that traditionally marginalized groups feel supported. In the wake of Michael Brown's killing in Ferguson and the reckoning over how segregated these communities were, we saw this new push to fund initiatives like this in St. Louis. At Rockwood School Board meetings, though, groups of parents began openly questioning the value of these programs.
4: The program right now is from my understanding serves less than 1% of the tax paying families of this um school district. Did
0: you catch that? That's a white mom saying one of these programs serves less than 1% of tax paying families in this district, which makes this a good time to mention black students do live in Rockwood School District, but many others are bussed in as part of a years long program to integrate what is one of the most segregated cities in America. So, when parents complained about tax paying families in the district, it was very clear to everyone who they were talking about. They're essentially saying money's being spent to make Black kids feel better who don't live here.
3: Talking about entrepreneurship or personal development in AC Labs is taking important time away from core subjects and academics. You don't get better at math by talking about feelings.
0: Parents also pointed out that some of the administrators who were welcoming these nonprofits into the school were on the boards of these nonprofits. Were they giving their own pet projects non competitive bids while that money could be sent elsewhere?
3: It seems that the board has the responsibility to look into every contract up for approval or renewal. Doing this is not a form of theater, it is due diligence.
1: So move. Second. Okay.
2: Motion and a second. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Anyone opposed? No. Um, Same for. Same for. Okay.
4: That motion fails.
0: In October, the school board voted to end three of these programs on the grounds that there wasn't enough evidence showing they justified their own cost. But it didn't end there.
2: We've been told
3: repeatedly that we can't have access to information about what happens to employees who instruct our teachers to lie to parents not even allowed to mention one of your names in the public forum
0: some of the parents set their sights on the teachers and administrators who championed these projects
4: just because i do not want critical race theory taught to my children in school does not mean that i am a racist damn it
0: in recent months Three different Rockwood administrators have resigned, citing pressure from the community. We contacted some of them. None felt comfortable going on the record. We messaged parents who had been involved with the group, concerned parents of Rockwood School District. They pointed us to blogs and school board meetings. But you know who has volunteered to go on the record? Some of the high school students in the area who say programs like these have directly impacted their lives. So, now that we've got that background, in part three of our series, I want to turn now to Kylie Jenkins and Sam Wakapa, who are seniors at Marquette High School. In Rockwood School District near St. Louis. First of all, guys, can you just I mean, tell me about your school? What's it like there?
3: Um, Marquette is the second biggest school in the district or in the entire state. So, mm. like, there's a lot of people. I think we have like 2,600 students. It's a really big school, but it's also one of the newer schools. So, it's a nice school with a ton of people.
0: What are your interests right now at this point in high school? Are you guys studying specific things, getting ready for college? What's the a day like at, at Marquette for you?
5: The majority of the seniors right now are really focused on graduation and getting ready for that and just like preparing for that. And yeah,
0: it's a really good school. And the student body is predominantly white, right? So I am curious about some of these diversity programs then. Uh, Kylie, you're president and Sam, you're vice president of this club called MACC. What is
4: that?
3: So it's Marquette Academic and Cultural Club and we call it MACC. So basically we focus on promoting diversity through the school Mm -hmm. and offer a safe space to all students, although we are predominantly made up of African American students right now just for them to talk about issues or anything they experience or anything going on in the world. So like recently we just talked about the Memphis beating. We've mm. talked about other like landmark cases like George Floyd. Um and then we also go on a college trip every year mm. and that's pretty much it.
5: Wait, what's the, what's the college trip? Um the purpose of our HBCU trips is just to just to showcase that there, there are different opportunities out there. Like I went on our first trip, uh, I believe we went to Atlanta freshman year and we hit all like the major HBCUs. We went to Clark Atlanta university, um, Spellman, Morehouse and a couple others. And I just feel like it's just such an important opportunity for like all students, to, like get to like, know when you're around people that like, look like you, you can relate to a lot of things and. I just feel like going on this HCU trip was just like very influential, and I really enjoyed it.
3: Also, I just want to interject and say one thing. Last yeah. year on our trip, I know we had someone who previously wasn't looking at colleges at all. They just went on the trip to go on the trip. And then we had gone on one of the colleges, and they're like, this is how much it costs. You have the academics and everything. And she applied right there on the spot, even though it's something she never even thought that she would ever do before, is go to college. Wow. Then like hearing it and actually like knowing and being knowledgeable of what a college is and what it can give her, she just applied on the spot.
0: So, like, life-changing stuff in some regards, then. Like, that can change a life. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. And with all these diversity programs that I mentioned getting cut at, at like, the district level, is MACC, is that on the chopping block, too, or is that safe because it's more of a club than a nonprofit?
3: Yeah, our club, it's a club, it's not a program, so we are financially independent from the school and from the district, so we receive no funds from the district also, like... Unless we like violate some big rule, they can't shut us down. Our biggest like threat right now is that we don't have enough involvement because a large part of our club is seniors. So like, if we graduate, then it's like mm. who's left to continue to run our club? But that's our only threat right now. Like the district can't shut us down unless we like break some law or some rule that they have.
5: Yeah, I just feel I just feel like if we if our program was to be cut, I just feel like what a detriment that would be to Marquette. Like. If we didn't have a program like this, like, I don't feel like students would feel represented in a school that is only
0: 8% Black. What was it like when you heard that these programs were, were getting shut down by the school board?
3: I feel like I personally never knew how white of a district we were. Like, it was never something that was brought to my attention. I knew there were other schools that had higher counts of people of color, but I never thought it was like too pertinent of an issue until recently when I saw like how big of an issue it really was. And their argument for taking away these programs is that it's costing the district too much money and that these programs aren't available for all students. And these programs never said, we are only for black students. It's just only black students have joined these programs So the predominantly white parents are saying, why are we funding these clubs when our students aren't even a part of it and they can't be a part of it? But they're not looking at the fact that they can be a part of it. They just have not joined the clubs. But it's like you take away these safe spots for these kids and they can't even make a new safe spot themselves because they aren't allowed to have a club in middle school. So now if you're in sixth grade, you have to wait all the way until you're in ninth grade to be able to have a safe space again.
0: Does it feel like a safe space? Like like as these conversations about race get so intense, I, I know that some of them are at school board meetings, you guys aren't necessarily there, but like does that end up making black students feel less welcome during the day?
3: I feel like Marquette is better. So Eureka is our more rural school. It's not super rural, but it's like the most rural school we have. And that is a school that is like constantly we're seeing the most issues with that school when it comes to race. Eureka had people write on the like bathroom doors, coloreds only and whites only. Wow. And this happened just recently. So I feel like, like I know at Marquette, there hasn't been anything like that that I've experienced. But I know like for Eureka, for that to happen, no one really is that surprised that it's happening there.
0: Hmm. And that feels connected to you.
5: Definitely to like have this come up when... We're in, like, the midst of all this tension with diversity and equity and inclusion initiatives. I think definitely that happening right now is just is just crazy to me because mm. it just shows that the district's, like, abilities to, like, handle racism is, like, it's been hampered because we've lost that leadership. Like, literally, our DIE committee office is, is empty. Like, we have no way... To combat this, I just feel like we need more resources in order to like prevent something like this from happening again.
0: Okay, last question for you. So you guys are seniors. What's, uh, what's next though? Like you are going to like leave this behind at the end of the spring, right? What happens next?
5: I'm moving to Texas um, in the summer and I'm going to be attending community college in Texas. And then from there, I'll be transferring to a four-year college, preferably a HBCU.
0: And again, that's something that's, like, crossed your mind. It's like, I would like to be on, like, a historically black college campus. Of course. Of course.
3: Um, For me, I'm only leaving it behind for, like, five years. I'm actually going to University of Memphis. And the main reason I chose to go there is because it is 55% people of color. And I knew I had to get out of here. So that's why I'm going there. Like,
0: that was a real part of your decision, was, like, I want to be around more people of color.
3: Yeah, that was... It was between University of Memphis and University of Iowa, yeah. so that was my deciding factor, but I'm going and I'm pursuing teaching, yeah. and then I my plans are to come right back into Rockwood, and Rockwood's good at hiring back teachers and be that safe space for everyone else. I want to be that for students, uh-huh. even if it helps one person, that's what I want to do, so I'll be back in like five or six years.
0: Wow. And I should say, we reached out to Rockwood School District. A spokesperson wanted to clarify that this decision to stop funding these programs was that of elected school board officials. It wasn't a district decision. They also added they have zero tolerance for racism, and they're investigating that bathroom graffiti. Again, we reached out to several parents from Concerned Parents for Rockwood School District. They declined to comment. Uh, Kylie Jenkins, Sam Wakapa, thank you so much for your perspective, guys. Really appreciate it.
3: Thank you for having
0: us. Thank you for having us. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, the ocean can just get a little overwhelming. One last thing is next.
3: Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.
0: And one last thing. We all have different musical tastes, but everyone seems to love a whale song. Several whales make sounds, but only two make what scientists would describe as songs. A subspecies of the blue whale in the Indian Ocean, and everyone's favorite underwater yodeler, the humpback. Well, down in Australia, these songs used to be ubiquitous enough for impressions. But that could be changing. A new study in the journal Nature Communications Biology says the number of humpbacks who sing has dropped significantly. Why? Well, it's only males who can sing. Traditionally, the thinking goes, they use their undulating song as a mating call that can be heard by females—I'm not making this up— Thousands of miles away. Well, in recent years, the populations of humpbacks near Australia has risen.
2: Ah!
0: After being nearly hunted out of existence in the 60s, the population is now up closer to pre-whaling levels. Hooray! But with all these females so close nearby, scientists speculate that these whales... Might not have a reason to flirt so loudly. It's the cetological version of lowering your Tinder radius. Which might strike you as sad, right? Fewer whale performances, but this could also change how we think about the whale's song in the first place. When microphones were first developed to record these songs in the 70s, endangered whales were more spread out than ever. Instead of romantic concerts, these could have been seen as songs of loneliness. Now, one of the great conservation success stories in history has given us a reason to embrace the silence. It's not like everything will be silent underwater. Apparently, whale courting still involves a good amount of Rough housing? I don't want to get graphic here. I guess every week is Valentine's week when you're a whale. Start Here is produced by Kelly Therese, Jen Newman, Brenda Salinas Baker, Madeline Wood, Vika Aronson, Iru Ekpanobi, Cameron Shertavian, and Tara Gimble. Ariel Chester is our social media producer. Josh Cohan is director of podcast programming. I'm our managing editor. Laura Mayer is our executive producer. Thanks to Lakia Brown, John Newman, Liz Alessi, and our intern, Amira Williams. Special thanks this week to Chris Berry, Stephanie Ebbs, and Sony Salzman. I'm Brad Milky. See you next week week.